Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. God, we're just thankful to be here. We're thankful for uh, what's happening in our church. We thank you for the new babies that we dedicated today. We thank you for this incredible time of worship and, and just to come before you. Now we're thankful that we get to come and study your word. God, not to be hearers of the word, but doers, uh, to be people who surround that say, what does it look like to follow Jesus and to trust in him in our everyday life and, and to, to live that out? And so today as we come, we talk about this important topic of the power of our words to, to lift up or tear down. We just pray that you really speak powerfully, both to heal us from words that have hurt us in the past, but also to make us healers who have words of healing as we speak. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, the story starts today about 10 or 15 years ago. I'm not sure the exact time frame. I know that we were living down in North San Diego County at the time where we were, we were growing up. Uh, I was a pastor, uh, one of the senior pastors at a very large church, two or three times the size of Rocky Peak. And uh, so in this particular day, I was driving out of town, about outside of our city, about five miles out was this little town, I don't even know if you call it really a town, but this little place, kind of a stop on the road, where uh, you, you could go through on the way out to the countryside, and there's really not much there, but they had built a new Arco station there. It had a lot of pumps, uh, it was brand new, low price gas, uh, you know how Arcos are. And so, uh, so whenever I would go out there, that if, uh, if I needed gas, I would just stop by, swing in, get some gas. And so I, I, I pulled in this day, and uh, you know how it is. You, you pull up, get out, go to the pump, uh, uh, and, and you know how it is at an Arco station. They always have the kiosk, right? So you go to the kiosk, and of course you pull out your debit card, because they don't take credit because they're cheap. And so you pull out the debit card, and uh, you get the thing, 35 cents extra, and you put it in, and you, you kind of pick your pump, and you go back to pump your gas. And so uh, that's what I did. So I go through that whole rigmarole, get back there uh, to my car, and I realized that I'd parked too far away from the gas pump. Now, you've probably done this. Isn't it irritating? See, if you're at Costco, it doesn't really matter because you can park three miles away and those lines are so, those, those, kind of, those, they just pull those things forever. You know, go around the car, under the car, stick it in. Um, but this didn't have those long, that long a hose and so I, I get out, you know, go to start pulling. It's just not, it's not long enough and I don't really want to get back in the car to, to, uh, to move it again because I, I hate that. So, and so you just pull it as hard as possible, right? You just pull, pull and you pull it. Now I know this thing is stretched, you know, and you pull and you get it in there, you get it in, in, in the hole and, and then you wedge it into place and you start to guess, yes, I did it. I accomplished it, right? And so now I'm taking a couple, three, two, three steps, walking around the back of the car, and all of a sudden, uh, it happens. <laughs> well, today we're uh, continuing our series that uh, we've been in the last two or three months. And uh, for those of you who are brand new, uh, the series is called Just Do It. You can see it on the wall. It's a study in the New Testament letter of James. And so this is a letter from uh, one of the, uh, the key uh, early leaders in the movement of Jesus uh, named James. He's actually the half-brother of Jesus, grew up together, didn't buy into Jesus during his growing up years or during his ministry. But after the resurrection, he changed his mind. I guess he was right. And so he became this passionate Christ follower and, and one of the key leaders in the early movement of Jesus. And so uh, in this, uh, this letter, he's writing to, um, to Jewish Christ followers, fellow Jewish Christ followers, when the movement of Jesus was very young. In fact, uh, scholars tell us that it's probably the first document and written in our New Testament only 10 to 15 years after the resurrection. And so when you're reading the gospel, of, like if, if the Bible, if the New Testament was put together like in order, you know, like, like in terms of when it was written, it would be the very first document, very first uh, w- uh, look into the, the movement of Jesus. And so 
What we've learned in this series is it's an incredibly practical series, uh, practical uh, 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 book, just kind of one topic after another, you know, anger, temptation, uh, it's just going boom, boom, boom. And today the topic is the power of words. And and if I had to uh, summarize it, kind of put it in a nutshell, what James is going to say is that as followers of Jesus, one of the most important areas for us to be transformed and changed is in the area of our speech, our words, because words are incredibly powerful. They, they have the ability to tear down, they have the ability to build up, and so if we're serious about following, this is not just kind of a little sidelight part of the Christian life, this is like really part of the core. And so if you have your Bibles, let's go to James chapter three. We're gonna look at the first 12 verses today. James chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And so apparently there were some of these people in these churches that he's writing to who are kind of aspiring to be teachers of the church, you know, pastors, spiritual leaders, whatever, teachers. And, and of course, that's a good thing, but he says, uh, you need to make sure that you're ready to do that when the time comes because you're going to be held accountable to a higher standard. Uh, it's kind of a scary thing, but when someone gets up here and teaches and says, this is, this is the word of the Lord, this is the way we're to live, this is what Jesus says, then, then James says that you're held accountable. You've, you obviously know the truth. You've taught the truth, and so you're, you're held accountable to that higher standard, and you'll be judged accordingly. And so, so he starts talking about the power of words in terms of teachers in the community, the, the movement of Jesus, but, but then he quickly transitions into the power of words for all of our lives. And so he says in verse two, we all stumble, in many ways. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> we all stumble, we all mess up in, in many ways every day, right? Uh, he says, but if anyone is never at fault in what he says, then he is a perfect man, uh, able to keep his whole body in check. In other words, learning to control our speech is one of the hardest challenges of following Christ. It's one of the hardest things. And he says, if you can learn to control your speech, man, you're, you're, you, got it, you got it wired. You got the rest of your life wired because this is just so hard thing to do. And then he's gonna give us three examples uh, from kind of nature or from the world around us of, of very small things that control very big things. Okay, so he says, first example is the bit in the, ho- in the mouth of a horse. He says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. And so I know some of you are, are horse riders, you understand this, just small little bit, you can control this huge, massive, powerful being with that small little bit. Next example is ships, or take ships for an example. Although they're so large, they're driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. So again, something big controlled by something small. Uh, likewise, verse five, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. In other words, it has great power. Uh, it gives us third example. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Now, now we get this, right? Because we live in fire country here. We got the four seasons, right? Winter, spring, summer, fire, right? I I remember my first year here, 2005, like when they recruited me here, no one told me about this. They didn't tell me. They didn't tell me I'd be taking my life into my hands every fall. They didn't tell me that. I, I still remember I was up in my office. My office is above this building, not on the roof, but somewhere in here. And, uh... And I remember looking out one afternoon uh, in the fall of 2005, 
uh, and seeing smoke not that far away. I'm thinking, is this just normal here? <laughs> like people don't even like, you know, there's not even an email that goes out. Hey, fire in the area. You know, it's just, and, and so I remember that, you know, evacuating the preschool, the whole deal was just crazy. And so the building almost burned down or whatever. Then the next year, my house almost burned down. And just like, this is normal here, right? And, and so his, his analogy is this, is that, hey, small spark, big fire. And, and, and so that year, the to, it was a Topanga fire. Some of you remember that? 24,000 acres burned, all from one little spark. And this is what James is saying. Our, our, our tongue, uh, our words are like this. They, the tongue is a small part of the human body, but it is capable of destroying our life, burning down our life. And so he goes on, and he says, uh, it corrupts the whole, he says that the tongue, verse six, the tongue is also a fire, it's a world of evil <laughs> among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person. It sets the whole course of his life on fire. Have you ever said something that just kind of ruined your life or part of your life or someone else's life? Uh, just, one, just one little word, and yet it's devastating. We'll talk about that more later. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and it, is, it itself is set on fire by hell. It says all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. Remember when God created us in Genesis chapter 1, he gave us the command, I want you to rule. I want you to rule over the birds of the air, fish of the sea. You know, we're to, contr- we're, we're to be in control. And, we, and James says, we've done a great job in that. We've controlled the, I mean, we got Shamu now, right? We got, we got Shamu, we control Shamu. Uh, new, what was that one? I saw a new show on TV the other day, The Swamp People. Have, have you seen this? Swamp People, yeah. It's all about like, like getting alligators down in the bayou, right? He says, you know, we, as, as a race, we've done a great job of kind of controlling uh, nature. But his point is, but we can't control human nature. And so he says, uh, but verse 8, but no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. Uh, in other words, it's just kind of like a, a viper, like a poisonous viper that's just kind of restless, rattling around in our mouth and ready to go off and, and strike. And he's going to give us an example. He says in verse 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. So we come in here on the weekends, we're worshiping, we're praying, we're praising God. One of the highest uses of our tongues, of our, our speech. He says, and then, and then we go out in the parking lot and get on the freeway and we curse men <laughs> who, who have been made in God's likeness. Uh, and, and he says, my brothers, this should not be. He says, Christ's followers, this should not be. This is not what Christ has called us to be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Is you know, out in nature, nature is consistent. You know, it's like arrowhead water. It's always arrowhead water. So it's in like one day, it's fresh spring water. The next day, it comes out salty. And then, and then five minutes later, it's clear again. So it's in nature. It's not like nature is consistent. Human nature isn't. And he goes on, gives another example. My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives? Or a grapevine, bear figs. I mean, you, you can count. You got a tree in your backyard. You got an orange tree. Every year it's oranges. You don't come out one year, it's apples. It's like it's, it's consistent. But human nature, not so much. He says, neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And so his point is that, that as Christ followers, one of, the, one of the most important areas for us to grow 
is in the area of words because words are powerful and they have power to destroy. And so if we're serious about following Jesus, we're going to grow. And so that's kind of his core message. Now, here's what I want to do in the time that we have is break this down. There's three principles that, that flow out of this passage that I want to jump to. Two come directly from James, one from Jesus about the power of words. And so let's jump in. There on your note sheet, the power of words, three important principles. The first one is the most obvious that he wants us to catch, that words are powerful. Uh, no, we're just going to put it this way. What you say really matters. Okay? Words are powerful. What you say really matters. And, and this is important for us to catch because many times we will minimize the power of words, don't we? Like, like we're in an argument. We get angry. We say some mean, hurtful things. And we'll come back later and say, hey, I didn't really mean it. I was just having a bad day. Uh, that's not who I really am. Uh, just can't, can't just let it go. And so we'll minimize. It's only words, right? It's like actions are important, but, but words not really so much. Uh, from the time we were little kids, sticks and stones will break our bones, but words will never, what, hurt us. And, of course, it's, it's not true, but, but it's something we kind of buy into that, that, you know, words aren't really that weighty. They don't, they're not really that important. Like, we can say something and then just think we can take it back and say, I didn't, I didn't really mean that, and it just really doesn't matter that much. And what James wants us to catch is know that one of the ways God has gifted the human race is the power of words. And that as human beings, God has given us this ability to speak into each other's lives, and that our words have the power to create, our words have the power to destroy. That words are incredibly important. So therefore, as Christ followers, if we're serious about following Jesus, we have got to learn to get a control on our words because they're powerful. Now, this is not the first time James has brought up this topic. In fact, last week, we looked quickly at a verse in chapter one. I want us to go back there again. It's chapter one, verse 26 where he brings up this topic earlier. You may remember when we covered this, I said, you know, we will hold off on talking about this verse until we get to chapter three. But in James chapter one and verse 26, James says, if anyone considers himself religious, and remember, uh, we've said that, that he's using that in a positive, uh, positive way, in other words, if anyone considers him a true believer, considers himself a, a follower of Jesus, a spiritual person, uh, that, that sort of thing, following God, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue. Now, now notice he's using the same analogy he used today, the bit, in the, the bit in the horse's mouth, right? Doesn't keep a tight rein in his tongue. Then he what? What's, what's he do? He what? He deceives himself. Now, we've talked about this a couple times. You remember, look back in verse 22, 122. He's, James says, do not merely listen to the word and so what? Deceive yourself. And so we've talked about this over and over again. Is that it's possible to listen to the word and love the word and not follow the word and deceive ourselves to think we're truly following Jesus when we're not. And so now he gives us this specific example. And the first example is if anyone considers himself religious and doesn't keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is what? Worthless. So what's he telling us is that, hey, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, that, then one of the areas you need to grow is in the area of what you say be, because our words are incredibly powerful. They, they can destroy. I was thinking this week uh, of a story I read many years ago uh, about a very famous uh, leader, a famous uh, Christian leader, pastor in the United States. His name is Andy Stanley. 
Uh, some of you may have heard him, may have read some of his books. He, he's a great uh, a writer, leader, teacher, leads one of the largest churches in our nation, most, one of the most influential, too, down in Atlanta. His dad was Charles Stanley, some of you have heard of him. And so, uh, anyway, uh, Andy's a, a strong leader, but he tells a story when he was in the eighth grade that how he decided to go out for the basketball team at his school, and he was just really into basketball. I love that. About 100 kids coming out, only, what, 10, 15 can be chosen for this team. So it's very competitive. And so he's working out. You know, he's praying at night. You know, God, would you help me get on the team? And you know how it is eighth grade. Your life kind of rises or falls on the, these things. And so it's just, he's all into this. And so he goes through this week-long, however long, tryout process. It comes to the very last night. They're doing this scrimmage. And, uh, uh, and, and he knows, you know, game, you know this, like after tonight, this, this you know, coach is going to pick who makes it, who doesn't. So it's, you know, very tense. And during the scrimmage, he's running down the court, heads for the, for the far corner. One of his buddies sees him, passes him the ball. He knows this is his moment. He takes the shot. And, and uh, it is an air ball. You know, I mean, nothing but air instead of net. There's like no rim, no backboard, no net. I mean, just total, and he's just like, he, he's just dying. And so he's just so embarrassed because he knows what's on the line. You know, it's, he's being evaluated. And so, but, what, but it's what happened next that would impact his life for the next 10, 15 years. Because what happened next is the coach in front of the parents, uh, everyone watching there, the coach from the five, far side of the court just hangs his head in disgust and then screams out. And he says, Stanley, you have no backbone. And those words just cut like a knife into his heart. And from that moment on, he never tried out for competitive sports again. And it wasn't until he was in his 20s that he realized what had happened. And how this one comment from this one coach basically saying you're gutless, you have no courage. How it had impacted the course of his life ever since and the way he saw himself. And, and, he, and he talks about how he had to go back and he had to process that with God. And he had to go back and, and kind of look at, realize how that impacted his life. And with the help of the Holy Spirit and prayers, ask God to remove that arrow from his heart. So he could move on and become the man God had called him to be. Now, I won't ask for a show of hands, but have you been there? Uh, uh, did you have a parent who tell you, told, told you when you were young you were never wanted anyway, you were, the, you were the biggest mistake, and I wish we'd never had you? Did you, did you ever have a, 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 a teacher to say, hey, you shouldn't do this, you'll never be a reader, it's not your thing? You, you need did, did you ever have a coach that, that said, you will never succeed? Did you ever have an ex-spouse who said, you'll never have a relationship with anyone because you don't know how to relate to people. H have you ever had someone speak into your life, a, a boss speak into your life in a powerful way that's crippled you? So, so my guess is, in, in, a, in a room like this, probably most of us, that the moment I ask you that question, your mind goes back to a time in your life when something was said that went in like, like, the, like powerfully and has crippled you ever since. And for some of us here, it's holding us back today that you're not moving into the future that God has for you because of some powerful words that were spoken. And here's what James wants us to catch. When we talk about following Jesus, remember last week we said that faith without works is dead, right? That true faith always leads to action. It leads to works. But here's what James wants us to catch. Now that we understand that, that faith without works is dead, he says, let me talk to you about the, one of the most important kinds of works as a Christ follower. One of the most important area of works is your words, you see, because they hold the power of life and death. Now, 
in this passage, James is really focusing on the power of the words to destroy. But in the Bible as a whole, the Bible talks about the power of words to give life or to give death. That our words have the power to build up or tear down. Okay, so there in your note sheet, for example, I put a couple examples from Proverbs. Uh, the tongue, of uh, the first one, Proverbs 18, 21, the, the tongue has the power of life and death. And those who eat it, uh, those who love it, will eat its fruit. Proverbs 12, 18, reckless words, like the ones spoken to Andy Stanley in the basketball court, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. And so, so this is the message as Christ followers, we are called to be a force for good in the world. We are called to build up our children. We're called to build up our spouse. We're called to build up our coworkers. We, we, we have this power, this power of words that God has given us, and, and if we can hold, hold, grab hold of this, and if we can let him change us and shape us, our words can become a force for healing and for building up wherever we go. Words of affirmation. In fact, the Apostle Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 4. He's talking to a group of new Christ followers there about what does it look like to follow Jesus in the area of our words. And there in your note sheet, just a great verse, Ephesians 4. He says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And so, so uh, uh, rotten, the, the word in, in, uh, in Greek is rotten. Uh, like like fruit that's gone bad. So don't let unwholesome talk. Well, what the, uh, lies, uh, deception, um, uh, flattery, um, obscenity, um, uh, words that are motivated by jealousy, uh, uh, criticism. Now, now, by the way, th- this is not saying that we never can say the tough things because sometimes if you love someone, you have to say the tough things. I mean, Proverbs talks about the value of an appropriate rebuke. Jesus was extremely harsh with the religious leaders of his day. And so sometimes we have to say hard things. But Paul says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, but only that which is helpful. Underline that. That's, that's a key question for it. Is this helpful? When I say it, is it helpful and, and for building others up? Is what I'm saying right now, is it building others up or is it tearing them down according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen? And so, and so here uh, the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, you're Christ followers now. Uh, we need to use to learn the power of words to build others up. Are you with me? So, so number one, the first thing that James wants us to get is don't minimize the power of words. Like, like don't say, oh, it's just only words or I didn't mean it. Like, no, no, no. Words are powerful. Embrace that reality uh, and, and learn as a Christ follower to be used, let your words be used to build up and not tear down. Now, number two, the second thing, and this kind of balances that James wants us to understand, is that words are hard to control. Uh, anyone ever experienced that to be true? So on the one hand, James is saying, hey, listen, if you're serious about following Jesus, you've got to control your tongue because if you don't, you're, you're deceiving yourself and your relationship with God, it's, it's worthless, right? And so he says, this is a big deal. But on the other hand, he wants to come along and say, but I, I get it. I know this is hard. This is a very hard thing to do. In fact, in James 3, 2, look at that verse again. This is his point. <laughs> James 3, 2, we all stumble in many ways, but if anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, and he's able to keep his whole body in check. What's he saying? He's saying if you can control your tongue, you can control anything. And, and why is he saying? Because controlling to control our tongue is incredibly hard. About the moment you think you've got it under control, 
uh, then all of a sudden, boom, you turn a corner and something happens and, and you let something fly, a, a word of anger, a word of criticism, a word of gossip or whatever, and it's like, wow, where did that, that come from? And verse uh, 7, he says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, creatures are being tamed, have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. And so, and so it's hard. And so, so James is telling us, on the one hand, this is incredibly important. If you're serious about following Jesus, you've got to get this done. On the other hand, he says, this is really hard to do. And the funny thing about James is he's not, maybe you've noticed, he's not really big on the how. Have you ever noticed this? He's just, he's just like, uh, he's such a bottom line guy. This is what you need to do, do it. That's why we call this here, just do it. Right, but he doesn't really go, so let me talk to you about like, how to do that. And so I want to talk to you about how. <laughs> and, and, I, and we're going to base this on the rest of the New Testament. Because here's the message of the New Testament. And we often talk about this here at Rocky Peak. But I just want to continue to drive this down deep. Drive it down. What does it mean to be a Christ follower? So here's what the rest of the New Testament says. What the New Testament says is when a man or woman comes to Jesus and gives him her life, that we are made right with God. And it has nothing to do with our performance, right? It's totally a gift of, of God. It's based on the death and resurrection of Jesus in our place. And that's how we're made right with God. And, and so our journey has nothing to do with, with us in our performance. And that's where we've got to get a start. But then it goes on and it says, but when we're made right with God through Jesus Christ, that a miracle happens, that the Holy Spirit comes into our life. That, that we are, the Bible says we're adopted into his family. And in, in Galatians 4, it says because we're adopted, then this, he sends the spirit of his son into our life. And so we begin to change from the inside out, right? Like when a person gives their life to Christ, immediately they begin to change. A new love for people, a new love for God, a new moral compass, a new desire to do the right thing. There's some changes that happen immediately when you're born again. But, but, then, but then we need to continue that transformation process of becoming like Jesus. And the way that happens is by learning to follow the leading and the promptings of the Holy Spirit in our life. Who comes to live inside. He will come as our mentor. And so if we're open to it, the Holy Spirit will lead us. He'll guide us. And as we trust him, he'll transform us. And so we learned this in our last series in Galatians. Uh, we called it freedom. And we just spent a lot of time, several weeks on this principle. And there in your note sheet, just to go for a quick review, in Galatians 5, this was what Paul said. He said, so I say, live by the Spirit. I literally walk by the Spirit. In other words, follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life as he puts new desires in your life. Uh, uh, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Remember, literally, the flesh, the dark side. And so what Paul says is, as Christ follows, you have two sets of desires. And when it comes to our speech, you're going to have a desire to be a person who brings healing. As a Christ follower, I know this about you. You want to use your mouth in the right way. You don't want to tear it down. I know that about you because the Holy Spirit's in you. He's creating that desire. But you're going to have your old dark side that at times want to lash out. It's going to want to lie. It's going to want to do gossip. It's going to want to be flirtatious with someone other than your, your spouse. It's going, to be, it's going to want to do sexual innuendo. It's going to want to use obscenity. You've got these two things battling within you. And so the key to growing and being transformed is learning to surrender to the new desires that the Holy Spirit is birthing in your life and turning away from the old. And Paul puts it in Romans 8. He says we need to put to death the deeds of the flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, and so that's the key. And so this is how we grow in any area of our life, by, by kind of surrendering to this new desires, the new leading, the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And here's the good news, is that in this area of words, if you want to grow in this area, 
And if you're willing to be honest, and if you truly want to be transformed, that Jesus can transform the way you speak. That supernaturally, he can change you from the inside. And he can teach you how to use your words for, for power uh, to build up. But you have to be willing to listen and surrender to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So, so let me give you an example. Like, um, we started the day with a story of me going into the Arco station. And, and so let's go back to that story. So I pulled in too far away, cr- you know, pull that, that, that hose as far as it will go, scram it in, wedge it in. Yes, I did it. You know, just so proud. Uh, and, and, and so now I'm walking around the back of my car, and, and I'm only like two or three steps away from, from this, you know. So you just you put it in, right? You're walking around. I'm about this far away, and all of a sudden that thing breaks loose. And I don't know if you've ever done this. Like, probably you're like, no. No, we, we don't. We, we just get back in the car. We, we move the car. Like, we're, we're not, like, stupid. Like, like well, go, yeah, go ahead with your story. Uh, so, so I don't know if you do this, but I had never done this. Uh, I had one time driven off uh, with it in my car. I had done that. And, and I looked behind me, and I remember being, it was in, like, Idaho, and I remember, like, so blown away, like, why is someone, why is that, why is that following me, you know? And I'm driving away, and I've got the whole, like, snake, the python, like, following me through Idaho, you know? And, and so I had done that before, but I, I'd never done this before. And so, so, and, and so, I, so I'm walking around, and, and I had pulled that thing so tightly that when it came loose, man, it looked like a wounded python. Seriously, that thing is springing in the air, just flinging like this, and it is throwing gas everywhere. Now, I, since I'd never done this before, I, I didn't realize that, that it would automatically shut off. I didn't know that. And, and so I'm just like, Petra, if I'm scared to death, because I'm thinking some dude is going to be lighting up, and this whole place is going up. And so, but as scared as I was, I was not near as scared as the lady on the other side of the pump. (laughs) Because that python's flinging right towards her, and she is an old lady, right? She's very old. And I thought she was going to die and go be with Jesus, like right there. And the look on her face, she says, and then all of a sudden, you know how this happens, like when, some, when, when you, someone scares you really bad, you know how it makes you mad? Like it makes, she got mad. I mean, the veins are popping out of her neck. It's like Satan coming at me, you know? And I'm like, get behind me, Satan. No, no. And, she's, and she starts unleashing. I mean, and the only thing I can get is just like, I think it's a repressed memory. Because I, I don't remember all the words, but she was using them all. She, they, they were just, Wah! and she's, and of course, I'm, a, I'm afraid, right? Like, I'm freaking out, and she's like laying into me, just kind of laying in, and she's just going for it, and, and I was so much like Jesus. Yeah, I had my flip-flops on. Uh, I was some, I just took it. I just turned the other cheek, right, for about maybe three seconds. 
And then I was done being like Jesus. Uh, and so she is just laying into me, and I, I'm serious, just kind of taking it, you know, just kind of taking it all in and taking it all in, and, and I'm doing great, you know, just kind of taking it all in. And finally, she kind of runs out of words, and so she screams at me the next obvious thing. And, and I was at my limit at this point. I was done being yelled at. And so she screams at me, there's gasoline coming out of that line. And I just had it. And I screamed back. That's why they call it a gas station. (laughs) It was like a blow to the solar plexus with a single karate chop. I took her out. She was just like. And it felt so good. Yeah, like the universe was brought back into alignment. I was back in control. Until the Holy Spirit showed up. Uh, son, uh, that's not really the way we do it uh, here. It's Christ followers, right? We'll come back to the story later. But the point is, Holy Spirit quickly put his armor on me and let him, uh, that, that's not how we do it. That, that's not okay, right? And here's what I want you to catch, is as Christ followers, if we're willing, the Holy Spirit will mentor us in this area. He will mentor us. And here's what happened. You will unleash some angry words uh, and the Holy Spirit will come and let you know that's not how we do it. And, and I want you to go back and apologize. And I want you to own that. And I want you to make excuses about how you were under pressure or what. I just want you to own it and just say you were wrong. And, and, when, and when we've said something that uh, we, we've told something that's not true and it's a lie, the Holy Spirit's going to bring that to our mind. Is that, that wasn't really true. You need to go back and apologize. And you need to own that. That's not how we do it. We're, we're Christ, so we don't deceive people any longer. That's not how we do it. And, and, when, and when we've been overly critical with our children, the Holy Spirit's going to come to us, or our spouse, and he's going he's to speak to us gently about that. He's going to call us on that. He's going to send us back. And, and here's what happens. That, that when we face the truth, and when we embrace the truth and we surrender to his leadership and when we turn from that, there's a softening that takes place in our heart. And, and he will begin to mentor us and transform us in the area of our words, if we're willing, if we're willing. And so what James is saying is as a Christ follower, one of the most, very most important areas of following Jesus is in the area of our words. It's powerful and that, that I know it's hard, okay, but if, if you will trust the leading of the Spirit and you're open to his guidance, he will bring you, he, he, he will talk to you. He, he will talk to you some about the way that you flirt with people at work. Like, are you a Christ follower? You've come to Jesus, but, but you've always related to the opposite sex in a flirtatious way. You're very good at it. And, and, and now that you've been following him for a while, he wants, to, he wants to talk to you about that. He wants to change that. For some of us, we've had a, a lifelong pattern of obscenity and foul speech, and the Holy Spirit's going to come along and say, it's time for us to 
let that go. That doesn't benefit. That doesn't build up. That tears down. Uh, for some of us, it's in the area of gossip, that, that we are quick to share negative stories about others, stories that, that tear down. And, and we, we like the power that comes with that. We like the popularity that comes with that. We're in the know, and the Holy Spirit's going to begin to raise that up. Uh, for some of us, we, we monopolize conversations. That it's always about us. We're the ones that has to always be the talker. We're not, as James said in chapter one, slow to speak. We're quick to speak. And, and, and people see us coming and it's like, oh no, it's, it's going to be an hour conversation. It's all about them. And, and, and so we're not benefiting others. We're, we're, we're tearing others down. And the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to begin to mentor us. He's going to lovingly mentor us. Are you with me in this? You following this? Such an important area to grow. Now, the third principle flows not so much from James, but it flows from Jesus. And, and I think James is building on the teaching of Jesus in James, much like he normally does. And so it goes like this, that, that words are a window to our soul. Uh, according to Jesus, if you want to know the truth about yourself, pay attention to your words. Because your words are a window to your soul. That, that they will tell you the truth about the condition of your heart. Now, this is very hard for us to accept as human beings because what we want to believe as human beings is that our words are not a window of our soul. What we want to believe is our words are not a reflection of our true self. And so often when we say something mean, when we say something angry, when we say something comes out of jealousy, when we say something uh, inappropriate, sexual, what we'll say is, I don't know what came over me. I didn't really mean that. That's not who I am. Right? That's what we'll say. And Jesus says, no, that's not the truth. The truth is, your words tell you exactly who you are. Your words are a reflection of your soul. And so there in your note sheet, I put this verse from Luke 6 from Jesus' teaching. And here's the way he puts it. No good tree bears bad fruit. Nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. In other words, you've got an orange tree in the backyard. How do you tell if it's a good orange tree or bad? By the quality of the fruit. The fruit won't lie. It, it what, what the fruit is kind of telling you the, the condition of the tree. Each tree is recognized by its own free, fruit. Now he makes the analogy, compares it to us in our speech. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil out of the things stored up in our heart. Our mouth is a reflection of our heart. And then he goes on, for out of the overflow of his heart, the mouth speaks. He pictures our heart being like a spring of water that springs up inside of us and then it flows out of our mouth. And so if you want to know the condition of your heart, you have to pay close attention to the words that come out of your mouth. Now, well, so let's, let's kind of break this down. So, so what this means is that when we speak angry words, what it means is we have an angry heart. When we speak lies, what it means is that we have a deception in our heart. When we use flattery, it means we have a manipulative heart. When we use sexual innuendo or tell dirty jokes, what it's saying is that we have adultery in our heart, we have impurity in our heart. You see, what Jesus is saying is our words are a 
reflection mark. Like if you want to know the condition of your heart, just hook up your words to the monitor. And the, up on the screen is going to come a readout on your heart. And, and so catch what this means then. What this means is if we want to change our words, what needs to be changed first? Our heart, you see? This is what he's saying, that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you want to change your words, you really have to go deeper and change your heart. And can I tell you this? The first step, the first step to changing your heart is to be honest about the condition of your heart. Like our heart will never change while we're lying to ourselves about our heart. And as long as we separate our words from our heart and say, that's not really me, I didn't mean to say it, I was just under pressure, whatever. As long as we distance, we will never know the truth about our heart. And and then our heart can never be healed because we'll never bring our heart to Jesus to be transformed and healed. We'll we'll always be living in denial about the true state of our heart. Um, And so what this means is that for our hearts to change, we not only have to be honest about the condition of our heart, but we also have to probe the condition of our heart. So, So let me give you an example. When we use angry words, the first step is to say, is to admit I have an angry heart, right? When I, when I use, uh, when I gossip, the first step that I, as, as there's something wrong with my heart. I have a heart that longs to gossip. When I, when I use impure words, there's something wrong. I have impurity in my heart. The first step is to admit that there's a problem with my heart. But then the second step is to trace that down and ask the question, why? Why do I have an angry heart? You know? You know, when we get angry, there's usually two or three top reasons. Number one is we don't get our way. That's the most common. We, we want something, we don't get our way. Number two is uh, a fear that something has made us afraid. Number three is hurt, that something has hurt us. That's why we get angry, okay? And, and so can you see how this works? That if you will be honest, if you will let your words, your words will tell you there's something wrong with my heart, I'm angry, and if, then I, if I go there and say, well, let's do an examination of my heart. Why am I angry? It, you will find out what's wrong with your heart. And now you can take your heart to Jesus, and now he can do operation. Now he can do surgery. But, but if we pretend that our words aren't a reflection of our heart, you see how we never get there. And so, so we never grow. We're never transformed because we're not willing to be honest about ourselves and take the truth uh, to, to Jesus. See, the thing is, is that even Jesus can't heal us if we're not willing to give him the truth about our diagnosis. He's the great physician. I don't care how good the doctor is. If you've got cancer, if you go in and you're like, well, I don't want to tell him, I don't want to tell him that I have these symptoms because he might tell me I have cancer, right? And I don't want to have cancer, so I'm not going to tell him. We, we do that sometimes, don't we? Like, I don't want to tell him the symptoms because that could be bad news. Well, guess what? Just like with a, a physical doctor, you don't get well. Well, with Jesus, you don't get well either because, because we're living in denial. And see, can you follow me? This is what confession of sin is all about. Confession of sin is not for God's sake. It's for your sake. Confession is saying, here's the condition of my broken heart. It's just being honest about who we are. And it's there in the honesty that Jesus can come in and heal us, you see? That, that's why confession is such a big deal. And so so let's, um, let's play this out. Let's go back to the gas station. And so, let's go back to the gas station. And so, I've just laid out this poor old lady, right? She just, and of course, at this point, I, I, you know, well, I'll, I'll come back to that. But anyway, I've just kind of laid her out. 
and, and for a moment it feels great, you know, because it, it was armed combat. I mean, she was coming at me. It was a verbal assault. And with one move, I took her out. And so, so, for, for, so, so I'm feeling pretty good about that, you know. And so, so Kristen, the Holy Spirit comes in. And so now uh, I've got a decision to make. I've got a decision to make about what do those words just tell me about myself. And, you know, on one level, it'd be easy to say, well, hey, you know, I was just scared, and that thing came flipping out. I thought the whole place was going to explode. And then she's coming at me, and I, I, I was an honest mistake. I'd never done this before. I didn't know it was going to come out. And, and it's like she had no right to attack me like that and just uh, berate me. And, and, and so it wasn't really me. I was just under pressure. It was just like that's not who normally went. That, that's one way of it, responding, right? That's one way of responding. But that'd be a lie. Here's the truth. The truth is that I didn't have humility in my heart. The truth is that I was proud and arrogant, and no one was going to attack me like that and get away with it. The truth is, is I, went, I wasn't like Jesus. I, I didn't turn the other cheek, at least not for very long. Um, the truth is I didn't forgive her or were patient with her. I didn't have pity on her, this old lady that, you know, is probably in cardiac arrest. You know, like that, that's, I, I, did, I didn't, the tr- here's the truth. The truth is at that moment, I had hatred in my heart. I wanted to take her out. And I did. I did. And so what does Jesus say in the New Testament? In, Ro- in, in Matthew 5, he said, you've heard it said that don't murder people, that murder is wrong. But I tell you, if you have anger in your heart, you've murdered them. Right? That, that's the truth about me. Now, guess what? If I want to grow, I need to be honest with that truth. And I need to come before Jesus and I need to say, Jesus, I'm sorry for what I said. But more than that, I'm sorry for who I am. And I desperately, desperately need your help to change this wicked, evil heart. I need you so badly. And would you supernaturally doing me what I can't do for myself. I'm a fallen person. I need your help, right? And it's there that Jesus can operate. It's there that Jesus can change. Because here's the thing. As Christ followers, we should be the people that are most free to be true about ourselves. Because you know the truth about you? Is that you're fallen, and Jesus loves you anyway. And that when you came to Jesus, this is why he died for you. So that you could be made right with him, apart from anything you did. And so there's nothing new about you that you're discovering. He doesn't already know. And he's not going to love you more after you, uh, before you yell at this woman than, be- than after. His love never changes. It's like he may not be pleased with you like a parrot, you know, if the child's not pleased, but, but his love never changes. And, and so in that moment, w- there, there's really no reason for you to be afraid to go to Jesus and to be radically honest about the evil that's in your heart. And can I tell you something? It's there in that moment of deep repentance and honesty that Jesus puts his arms around you and loves you and not only forgives you, begins to heal you. And guess what? As your heart softens, your heart begins to change. And then your words will begin to change because you're being transformed at the deepest core of your being. Are you with me in this? You know, sometimes as Christians, we're the most fakey people around. Because we think we have to live up to some standard. And, and that if we don't live the standard, that God won't love us. And so we, we pretend we're something we're not. 
as Christ followers, we should be the most radically honest people because the truth is, I know that Jesus loves us regardless of who I am. He died for us when we were his enemies and hated him, you see? And so there is absolute freedom from to come and to say, this is the truth about me. And then to receive not only his forgiveness, but his healing. And so as we close this service, I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you if you would just kind of bow your heads, close your eyes. I want to ask you a couple questions. The band's going to come out. We're going to go into a time of worship as we go before God. But I have a couple questions for you. The, the first question is, how have you been hurt by words? I want you to think about this. Maybe nothing comes to your mind. But for some of us here, I'm, I'm sure that there was some, just like Andy Stanley's story, there's some words that were spoken a long time ago that have gone deep into your heart, have impacted who you are, wounded you deeply. And you've often written it off like it's no big deal. It's just words. I just need to get over it. Here's what I want you to catch. It's not just words. Words are powerful, and they have the power to wound. And and if you have been wounded deeply, I want you to understand that, that today, I want you to be honest about that wound, and I want you to begin to go to Jesus and ask him to pull that spear out, to pull it out. Because, because here's the truth about you. If you're a Christ follower, you are loved. If you're a Christ follower, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You've been gifted and you are not a mistake, and he's got a plan for your life, and you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, and that's the truth about you, and so these words that have been spoken are not true, just like they weren't true of Andy. I mean, the crazy thing is that they weren't true at all. He went on to become one of the greatest spiritual leaders of our nation, a man of great courage. They weren't even true, but but the wound stuck. It, 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 the knife went in, and so Today, do, do you need to bring a wound of your heart to Jesus and ask him to heal it and help you to pull out that spear, that sword, that arrow that's lodged there so that you can move into your future? Now here's my second question I'd like you to reflect on during this time. How have your words hurt others in that way? Is there someone you need to go back to and apologize to? Is there an area of your life that as I've been talking today, the Holy Spirit's been talking to you and you know exactly what it is, your anger that you've been justifying. It's your, your flirting with the, the, that secretary at work. It's uh, that gossip that you have a reputation for. Don't tell her, she'll tell everyone. Uh, it, what, what is it in your life that it's a critical spirit? It's, it's uh, deception that you, you have not learned to walk in truth? What is it that you need to be radically honest and say, you know what, this is true about me, and, and it means that there's something wrong with my heart, and I need to go and ask Jesus not just to forgive me, but to change my heart, and, and ask the Holy Spirit to mentor and transform me and change me from the inside out. And so during this worship song we're going to be singing now, I want to ask you to make this, this the prayer of your heart, that God would heal you, change you, transform you, lead you from the inside out. Father, we, we come into your presence now. We pray, we pray this would be a holy moment, a supernatural moment, where healing and repentance and transformation and joy and freedom and appropriate sorrow, whatever we need, that it would all take place now for a moment of healing. We pray this in Christ's name. 
Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. <laughs>